Don't mic. Don't don't mic. Don't mic. This is Girl Nostalgia. Don't mic for mic. Don't don't mic. Don't don't mic. Don't don't mic. Welcome to Growth Nostalgia, a podcast where we share our journeys, our struggles, our wins, and our dreams. I'm your host, Yesenia. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We have a really, really exciting show today. Um, today, Eleanor Lucia will be joining us. She is a scholar, a creative, a musician, an educator, an explorer, a hustler, and a coordinator, amongst other things. Um, I met uh, Eleanor through Women's Wave. It was the podcast that um, myself, Eleanor, Erica Mo, Lisa J, Vita, and uh, Jamie Leslie were pre- previously on together. And um, through that journey, Eleanor and I became friends. And we formed a, an authentic relationship, or an authentic friendship. And that was really... Um, odd to me because I really feel like I struggle with opening up to new people, but through just being around her, her energy, we've become, you know, great friends and our friendship has really been such a gift to me. And I've, I've shared that with her before, but she's a really, really awesome person. I enjoy being around her. She always brings so much positive energy and gratitude everywhere that she goes. I, I really value her friendship and she's somebody who really, really understands my need to want to grow and my need to want to continue to improve my life because she's literally on the same wave. She's, you know, we're in it together. Um, and many of you guys will be surprised by, um, you know, her journey. Um, and, and I know you guys will take something positive from it. So before we get into our conversation with Eleanor Lucille, let's jump into our first segment. So what's good? So during this segment, we talk about what's going good, what's going bad, um, a topic sometimes and a goal for the next few weeks. And so let's start with what's going good. Um, I started individual therapy. I've only had one session so far and, um, I like it so far. I realized straight into the first session, I was already feeling emotional for some reason that morning. It was just really weird. But um, literally, he just did my intake and he just like asked me questions. And through those questions, we kind of had side conversations about certain things. And I'm like, dang, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to, to work out some of these deep rooted issues. But I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to just coming out stronger and feeling more at peace, feeling more whole. Um, another good thing that's happening is I'm taking a meditation class at USC. They have like these free classes that they offer for staff and students and stuff. And, um, one of my co my coworkers is always like, you should do it. And finally I signed up. Um, another good thing is that, um, Anthony and I have decided who's going to be our officiant for, um, when we get married, we actually are asking his sister-in-law, Lucy, to um, marry us. And we just asked her the other day and she was just shocked. She didn't even think that, like she didn't have any clue we were going to ask her that. And we're just so excited for her to do it because um, she, well, also she accepted after thinking about it and, you know, she feels like it's a big responsibility and it is, but I just feel like she really um, knows our love story and she has such, uh, so much faith and, um, 
and she loves our love story and she's always been there for us um, through the ups and downs and I think she'd be an amazing person to marry us. Um, another good thing, um, we met Pastor Chad at Zoe Church um, in LA. That's the church we go to. And it was so cool. He, he um, introduced himself to us because he ended up running in, running into Anthony's brother and introduced himself to him. And then me and Anthony were wearing our, our jerseys, and I'm an Eagles fan, and Anthony's a, a Giants fan, which they're like, oh, so this house is a house divided. I'm like, yeah, it is, because literally we're in the same division. We don't like each other, but, you know, it works. Um, so yeah, it was so cool to meet him. He's such a cool dude. He just like, man, he gives like the best messages. If you guys ever want to like, listen to anything that, um, from Zoe Church of LA, I swear it feels like a Ted talk. They have a a podcast app themselves. It's called, I think it's called Zoe Church LA. And they also have a YouTube video, um, YouTube channel too. So you want to check that out. Um, also, um, we had Frank Ocean night last week. That was so much fun. Shout out to Que Madre. She is like the best. Like she be, oh man, me and her vibe so hard. I met her through um, Frank Ocean night, just like vibing off the first time that um, they had the Frank Ocean night. And man, it was just so cool. Like she's just a cool ass person and she just gets it. And I want to learn more about her and connect with her a little bit further. Um, another thing, football's officially back, baby. Yep. My team's actually going to play right now. So by the time this goes out, um, we, we would have already played and hopefully we're going to leave with a W cause I believe in my team. What's not so good. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about this, but you know, let's just keep it real. I still haven't worked out guys. I still haven't got my life together. I know I feel so unmotivated. I don't have anybody like in my instant circle around me that I see every day or like consistently enough to like push me to want to work out. And I know, I know it's not on them. It's on me, but damn, it's hard to do it on your own. So I don't know. I'm just going to, I need to figure that out because I'm just struggling and I don't, I don't know. I don't know where the motivation is. I can't find it. I, if anybody have any, um, you know, guidance, anybody want to give me some tips? Holla at you, girl. Um, another bad thing. I just financially, like I wish I was more stable, Um, there's still things that I want to do to move towards switching a job, but I'm not quite there yet, especially right smack dab in the middle of recruitment season. I get to go to DC in about in a week, in a week I'll be in DC. So there's just a lot going on. However, I know that through this podcast and exploring other options, I'm going to get there. I I'm not losing faith. I know that I'm getting there. I got to do little things here and there. I just can't, um, lose that hope and that faith and but I also have to do something to get there so I'm doing this I'm doing other things to get myself there and I know when the time is right I will get to where I need to go um but also shout out to Anthony for working so hard right now he's been working so hard at rip and dip um you know he he's he's learning a lot but it's also a little stressful and I'm just really proud of him for holding it down for the both of us and for um man his you know if you've listened to episode two you know his story he's been through a lot so um, I'm just really proud of him. So shout, shout out to my boo. Um, another thing that's not great. We haven't really booked much for the wedding and I haven't found a dress. Um, it's just like, there's just always a million things going on. Um, the thing that doesn't make me feel that bad is that I know the style and I know what I want for everything. I pretty much know who my caterer is going to be. Um, my DJ, we have to pick one from the venue. There's a lot of different things. So I'm, I'm like not freaking out yet. So 
The past few episodes, there's been like a theme for each of the episodes, depending on the, th- the guests that I have and basically their journey so far. So today, the theme is acceptance of your circumstances, you know, so accepting the cards that have been dealt to you and then making a choice with what was given to be better and to, to do better. Um, and so you'll hear Eleanor's uh, story. And so you'll be able to see how she made choices and how she figured out how to navigate through her journey and what she held, you know, in high regard. And um, so we'll, we'll talk about that. But I wanted to give two little examples of what that can be. So, for example, um, something that was dealt for me, I was, you know, born into become, you know, being the daughter of immigrants, you know, I'm first gen, there's nothing that I could have done to change that the odds are against me in many ways. That's how I felt. And so I had to make a choice. What was I going to do? Lay down and die because, oh my gosh, poor me. I'm in a disadvantaged situation because I'm the daughter of immigrants and my parents don't know, don't know how to guide me in certain ways. No, it was about making a choice. And my choice was to be determined because I wasn't the smartest kid, but I was, I was not, I didn't give up. That was my thing. So I made the choice to be determined and to make sure that those things didn't define me. I've never, I've never been ashamed of being the daughter of immigrants, never. But I felt like I just didn't get the same opportunities. It wasn't an even playing field for me. It wasn't. And I've actually grown to love that I'm a child of immigrants. Um, I, I love that because the country that they come from, Mexico, comes with a lot of culture. And I love the culture. And I especially love the food. I love Mexican food. So it also makes me feel like when I learn about the culture, it makes me feel closer to my family because I feel like I'm learning about my family. But that was something that, you know, I had to accept and I had to be cool with and make a choice about it. And I did. Another thing that I wanted to talk about with this topic is relationships, staying stuck in relation, past relationships. You know, a lot of us can relate with this. And so I wanted to talk about it. When a relationship ends, it's time to move on. People stay stuck. People stay in that moment. They want to talk about how, you know, they should still be together. Or they want to focus on all the good parts of that relationship. And they want to be in that and they, and they sit in that moment. And you know what? That sucks because you're not giving yourself the opportunity to find somebody better. And it's not to say that you're not going to be sad. You're not going to miss that person. You're not going to be bummed out and be a little depressed. Yeah, because love is like a drug. You're with that person all the time. You start to become kind of like addicted and like dependent on it. But how is a person going to define you and like fuck up your life? Essentially, you have a choice. Happiness is truly a choice. It's a choice to wake up every day and say, you know what? I'm going to start, you know, filling my life with different things. I'm going to start hanging out with new friends. I'm going to start going on jogs. I'm going to start cooking every night. I'm going to get a pet, whether it's a cat, a dog, a lizard, I don't care. You're going to start to fill your time with something, something different. But when you stay stuck in that relationship and talk about what could have, should have, would have, you know, happened, you're not allowing yourself to be, be grateful for what you have at that moment and all the people around you and to even give anybody a chance to come into your life. And also being in a breakup gives you an opportunity to learn about yourself we always lose ourselves in relationships and we need to learn to be grounded and to learn what we want, but you know, without that person, what do I want? 
It's not what we want. What do I want in this moment? These are just things that I notice. I've been there. So I just feel like this is a topic that we can talk about. And I'm sure a lot of people listening have a lot of opinions about this. Dude, send me IG um, DMs, send me whatever you want. But I want to, I would love to talk about this. I talk about this all day long. Before I end the topic, you cannot move on if you don't first accept that that relationship is done. Accept it, make a choice, make a choice to move on, make a choice to be better and make a choice to learn from your mistakes and from, you know, whatever you went through. Every loss is a lesson. Shout out to Jay-Z. He said it like y'all, y'all ain't listening though. Like the, the universe be telling you what to do. You won't be listening. Anyway, let's talk about my goals. My goals for this month is to finally work out. Y'all pray for me because clearly I can't get it together. And my other goal is to meditate five minutes every day. Today I meditated. Um, it was like seven minutes. It was too long for me. Two minutes too long. Like I got to just keep it back to the basics. I'm starting. I'm new. I'm trying to get with it. So those are my new goals. Let's talk to Eleanor and learn about Ellie. Woo. Damn. 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 So... Before we get into our conversation with Eleanor Lucille, I just want to thank her for being here. Um, Eleanor is somebody who really inspires me. Um, She's one of the most present people that you can ever talk to whenever you have a conversation with her. She's looking at you and you're just like, dude, we're the only two people here. And like, you're really listening to what I have to say. And that always makes people feel really good, which I think makes people think that she's flirting with them. (laughs) (laughs) But she's not. She's just having a like, normal conversation. Anyway, there's so many layers to her story, and I think there, a lot of people are going to learn so many things that they have no idea about Eleanor. So um, welcome, <laughs> Eleanor. <laughs> it is a pleasure and honor to be here. Um, I mean, you know, when you first asked me, I really was like, why? You know, but then as I started writing my timeline, I realized um, maybe I have done a lot more than what um, the average person has done. Um, but I am fully grateful for all of the opportunities that I have. That's why I chose yet to said yes and chose to share <laughs> them. So uh, let's start from all the way. Yes, take it back. Please. Take it back. Start uh, from the beginning. <laughs> uh, we're gonna go all the way back to 1987, the year of the rabbit. Um, <laughs> I was born in Saint Bernardine, so I'm from San Bernardino, San Bernardino County, and uh, I think what makes my story very special is where San Bernardino is located in the Inland Empire. Particularly, San Bernardino is uh, noted as the poorest stricken city in the nation. Uh, It's been through bankruptcies. The last bankruptcy it filed was in 2012, but they're officially out as of 2017, which you can see a lot of development in the city and the city's organization kind of driving towards uh, more infiltrated programs for um for like living assistance and such so you got to give San Bernardino props for making a comeback and being able to rejuvenate itself because it does have a deep history of poverty and uh I was actually born in well I was born in San Bernardino but raised in Colton which was a um, racially divided city uh, for a very long time. And uh, when the racial divide was brought down, uh, the city, the part of the city that I lived in was previously considered the Mexican side. Mm. So there was a lot of, I grew up around, because of the history of poverty in that region, I grew up around a lot of gang violence 
and uh, drug use, which usually runs rampant among poverty because people feel like they don't have other mm-hmm. choices. And so, you know, uh, you don't, I think my story is about uh, accepting, you know, your environment or just accepting what is and then making a choice to deviate from what the negative is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I noticed a lot of, uh, let's call it negativity, all the gang action and um, just kind of, you know, um, products of poverty in my environment. And I, at a very young age, chose to make for more and more decisions to deviate from that. And the root of that decision was education. And I don't know when exactly I realized that it was education that was going to help me get out of poverty, but I know that it was teachers since a very young age that kind of pushed me towards the path. And then uh, once, I think, actually I can say at least like in sixth grade, I was already cognizant of, you know, the educational path Mm -hmm. and what power uh, education can give you. Um, But yeah, it's... It's a lot. Uh, so um, I, I feel like my story, too, is, uh, you know, either it can have two perspectives. At a young age, a very young age, I really did feel that odds were against me because uh, I was a woman <laughs> or I was female. You know, I grew up with a lot of male cousins and a lot of a lot of my neighbors were little boys and my grandparents raised me so they were always like no you know a little girl shouldn't be out after 7 p.m and uh, <laughs> uh but what as I grew up I realized you know it could also be skewed kind of like a story of magical realism uh because from a lot of that ugliness and pain came really beautiful things and I just can't even believe that I was given the chance and opportunities again that I I had before me. So uh, I want to share, you know, a story of my first day here Mm -hmm. on earth um, and some background about why I'm so grateful. So uh, my mom had two (laughs) abortions before me. So third time's a charm. You know, I could have, I could have been an an aborted fetus, but not even that. Then she decided to have me and put me up for adoption. uh, And I had a a foster family picked out. Uh, they were in, stationed in Portland, so they had organized to fly in on around my birth time to uh, pick me up and watch over me while I was being birthed in the hospital. But uh, they didn't make it because <laughs> I didn't make my birth date. My birth date was originally um, Cinco de Mayo, <laughs> and I was born March 20th, which is the last day of Pisces. So I really <laughs> feel a strong connection and think that was for a reason, because throughout my life, I'll have more of this theme connection with other Pisces women and Pisces people. And the theme of it being, uh, you know, very creative. Uh, I definitely do have an innate creative energy in me. So um, because I was born early, my mom, you know, felt inclined to visit me every day that I was in the hospital. I had some sort of like nerve issue with my cartilage not being fully formed. And I pretty much was in ICU for the first two weeks of my life. And 
it came a time after the two weeks where the doctors essentially said that I could be released, but my mom saw me there in the hospital and she was like, how can I give up this precious body Mm. to this foreign family? You know, I don't know (laughs) them. So she changed her mind and she discussed with my grandma and my grandma's next door neighbor who is a really shout out Miss Porter. Her name was (laughs) Jezebel Porter. She was a badass. She, um, decided to let my mom raise me in her essentially garage uh, next door to my grandma because my grandma uh as you'll learn her name is also Eleanor Gomez uh (laughs) is a matriarch and she was raising like all of her sister's kids she was raising her sister's grandkids Mm -hmm. because her sister passed away and her sister's kids were both on drugs like hard drugs uh, so my grandma, you know, I already saw that. She had her hands full. Yeah, she yeah. had her hands full. And then uh, Mrs. Porter was nice enough to let us move in. And then, um, you know, there's another side of the story. My mom was considering me for adoption, too, because uh, the the sperm donor of, you know, my making was uh, my mom really really chose one you know she was going for the bad boy she (laughs) She was was young she was young you know she was into guys and bands with drug addictions and so um i guess he was selling drugs too so he went to prison and so my dad the man who raised me james sexton uh decided you know that he would help my mom raise me he was so in love with my mom i mean even to this day my dad's friends talk about how in love he was with her uh, so, you know, they helped raise me uh, my first few years in that little garage until um, my mom's, I mean, my I called my grandma mom, but my uh, grandma's uh, nieces and nephews were able to move back in with their parents. And mm-hmm. so then I moved in with my grandparents and, you know, I was just raised in Colton and going to school. Um, I remember preschool, my a uh, teacher, Miss Mary, pulled my mom aside and she's like, you know, that was the first time I was like, well, I'm in trouble. But it was actually <laughs> that she was like, hey, you know, Eleanor's a really good student, but she finishes her work quickly and then distracts all the other students <laughs> from their work. So I don't know if you could have like a talk with her. And that kind of continued on to grade school in kindergarten my shout out to miss Hendricks. my teacher was like you know i think she's a little too prepared um why don't we put her in first grade and then in wow. first grade my teacher miss lyons same thing she was like you know i think we can just put her in a, a first grade second grade combo if you don't want her to skip another grade and then in third grade i a same thing i was in a third grade fourth grade combo because I was doing that thing again. I was like (laughs) distracting all my friends from learning and I was just so on my path. And at that time, math was, I was really into math. So, uh, and I was really into English. So what they did was, uh, I didn't tell you this, but (laughs) that's why I love radio. I love, you know, listening to the sound of my voice. Um, What they did is when I would finish class early, they would have me record books on tape for students that didn't speak English and then I would read to students that were learning English and then they would have these tapes to to follow along with the So you'd be reading to me if I was in your class. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah so on the middle of um of my second third grade year my parents decided to move to Arizona to live with my dad's family so then 
I got out of the IE for a short bit, <laughs> and I moved to Tucson, and I went to a, a school for gifted students, and I realized there that, you know, I had a lot of um, just curiosities that other students shared as well, and so this was like art and planting and theater, and so this school was so weird. I remember so it wasn't like regular elementary school. You would take, if your math skills were the level of fifth graders, even as a second grader, you would be in that math class with mm. fifth graders. And then if you're into theater and there is other students that were into theater, even if they're sixth graders, you would all be in the same class. So you had your like homeroom period, which essentially was your grade. And then you did all your classes of your aspirations and that would be mixed with whoever was at your level. And so I remember that was the first my first experience with theater, and uh, we did a perf- a play, and it was not. Oh, I remember being oh my god, <laughs> it's funny. I remember being frustrated with my peers who were my age. Some might even been older, but they just were not taking it serious enough. And I'm like, no, we got to do this. <laughs> that is so you. I know. I was like, oh, so. Ali's <laughs> like, yo, you got to get it all. You got to get it together. You, you got to go. Yeah. <laughs> Showtime. <laughs> so. Um, You know, back at home, my parents were really young and my dad, um, you know, he was a great father. He helped raise me, but he had a drinking problem. And I think being around his mom uh, also reenacted and drove his drinking problem harder because my my grandma also had a drinking problem on Mm. my dad's side and my step grandpa, too. They were just, you know, every single night and living with them, just uh, drinking. And then my dad became really abusive. you know, there was a lot of moments of pain. My dad would beat the crap out of myself and my sister. And sometimes I would take a beating for my sister mm-hmm. because she was five years younger than me. So yeah. I, I would, I would literally stand in front of him and before he struck her, have mm-hmm. take the strike because mm-hmm. I loved her so much. Mm-hmm. I always had like a sense to protect her mm-hmm. ever since I was little. And so finally my dad hit my mom. And mm-hmm. after that, she was like, okay, I'm, we're out of here. So we went back to California. I went to a different elementary school, and I was just, like, really disoriented. I never told you this, but I had seizures, too, growing up as a kid. I was, like, epileptic until sixth grade. So I was, like, on medication, wow. and I was just so disoriented and really miserable. That's a lot for a young girl to have to deal with. Yeah. You know? That's a lot. I remember... I felt like so uncomfortable at my school. And so I, I convinced my, my last year of elementary school to go to my original school. My, I convinced my grandma and my mom to let me go. You know, I was like going through all this stuff mm-hmm. and I thought it would help me. And, uh, and I, they let me and I was back with my best friend, Jazzy. She'll pop up again. I, <laughs> I knew her since first grade. And so, um, I kind of got back into the rhythm of like, okay, I'm, I'm back at my school. I'm comfortable. You know, education is the path. Uh, in sixth grade, I was already taking junior high math. So I was able to like go over there. And then in junior high, I tested into all of the upper division classes. So even though I went to Colton Moodle, it was like a gang ridden <laughs> school. You gotta represent. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't have like the same lunch as gangsters. I didn't, I didn't uh, have the same classes with, like, troublemakers, so I didn't really experience that, you know, um, Colton hardship. Uh, I I feel really lucky. The only class I shared with um, regular students 
was PE. <laughs> and so, you know, I was like president of the science club. I did a lot of cool things. I was really into um, science. And so I did this continuous science experiment from fifth grade to eighth grade on the effects of radiation in, <laughs> in plants. Wow. And, uh, you know, my it was funny because those plants, my grandma still had them when I was in college. She was like, oh, so what I did, my mom was a radio. Um, radiologist I would nuke uh, some of the plants with certain levels and then record the der- their development and then I would have like a regular plant and then I would have a plant with um, light an indoor outdoor and light and so essentially uh, the <laughs> hypothesis was that radiation would affect the growth and it did I was really into it <laughs> and you know in that eighth grade junior high being a nerd getting student of the month all this stuff really and then being a girl with a big butt (laughs) (laughs) damn that's a lot girl um add that in and that you know got (laughs) unwanted attention and so uh in pe in eighth grade i think it was literally like the last month of school this chola girl was like a i hear ronnie you and ronnie have a thing first of all i don't even know who ronnie is (laughs) later on i found out who he was he was some gangster ass i'm like Oh, she does not know my type. Like, you had to have a certain GPA for me to be into. Like, oh I was a fucking nerd. And, um, That's so good. But it's real. And so she, like, beat the crap out of me. You know, I don't know how to fight. Um, I wish she came out with me after school because I would have knocked her with my skateboard. I, like, thought this whole thing through. But um, my mom pretty much had it. She was like, that's it. You're not going to public school in high school. So you know, and then she put me in karate. So I think, you know, I was still on the path, like I knew education was going to get me out, but I was so distracted by a lot of things to, to kind of truly rebel, Mm -hmm. uh, in high school, like most high school students do. Cause I was like in karate lessons, Mm -hmm. I was in singing lessons, piano lessons. And at this time I had started my band. So, uh, it was my cousin, Jolene. What up, Jolene? Uh, <laughs> she's a badass. And, uh, my cousin, Selena, our bass player, Betty, who, man, it's crazy. Cause we're all grown now. Uh, <laughs> just, just performing a lot of like local venues at first. I wasn't 21 and everyone was older than me too. So I, I was just kind of, you know, getting grasping the roots of everything and then going to Catholic school because of that whole beat up situation. One day in high school, um, I'm just like having it. You know, I didn't really fit in because I went to Catholic school and all these students, they had been going to school together since like elementary school. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, walks in lunchtime, sitting down in the back Jazzy or Lily, my friend that I had mentioned earlier, my best friend from like elementary school. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, what are you doing here? Here's the dichotomy. My best friend had ended up going to Colton High, meeting the wrong people, mm-hmm. cholas, mm-hmm. ditching school, mm-hmm. drinking for the first time, hanging out with boys. And her mom was like, you're going to go to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to straighten you out. And, you know, I never had an opportunity to do all the bad stuff. I was just <laughs> straight to Catholic school. Yeah. But I think, you know, 
when you're a vulnerable mind, it's really easy to succumb to the dark side mm-hmm. if you don't have a lot of options. I, I know her mom was like a single mom. She pretty much was like a latchkey kid. So <laughs> yeah, we essentially I was like, you know what? We got to convince her mom to get out of here. For me, what it was is I was always getting picked on by like football players. Mm. And then, you know, we're in our little like a Catholic school uniform. I would like punk up my uniforms, like wear crazy stockings and like put safety <laughs> pins on my skirt. And then one day I just snapped this like football player was like hitting me with his bandana. Oh, and so shit. I was like, he's going to do it again. And right when he did it again, I had unsafety pinned, unsafetyed my pin and I stabbed him <laughs> with a safety pin right in Don't the arm. Don't mess with Eleanor. Right when he like tried to hit me uh-uh. and I was the one that got in trouble. And so... They were like, if you get, I had done some other crazy shit before too. <laughs> I was I was a good student, but I was just rebellious. You're the type of you're the type of person like, don't fuck with me for real. Don't fuck with me. Do not. Yeah, I did some other shit, and then that was the last straw. And so they were like, if you do one more thing, we have to kick you out, even if you're a good student. And so, um. My mom and Jazzy's mom, like, talked, and so they're like, okay, Jazzy, we're going to put you back in school. Eleanor, you're going to go to school, too, over there. But Jazzy, you have to take um, some of the upper division classes with Ellie. Mm -hmm. So that was, like, the exchange. We were both in AVID together, and, Mm -hmm. I mean, I already was going to go to college. So I was like, okay, yeah, let's do this. So when I went back to high school, you know, the Gigaloops, that was the band. <laughs> now we're like fully established. Like we've been practicing for a year, for maybe three years already. Damn. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm almost 18 too. So we're kind of getting better gigs at better places. Okay. Yeah. I go back to Colton school, Colton high. And then I'm like really into my band and doing all the other extra things. Um, but I think I really was like paying more attention to my band once I started going to Colton High because I was hanging out with all my like punk friends mm-hmm. and just really getting more musically inspired. Also, more friends in mm-hmm. general because I had like two friends at mm-hmm. my Catholic school. So we we're all sharing music and going to shows and man, my space days. <laughs> yeah. Before we get a little bit more into the band, can you touch a little bit about the foundation of music and where that came from? Because we know education was, you know, really important to you, but I want to hear about how music played a role because you've you've told me a little bit about it, but I think it's really cool. And I think a lot of people would benefit from hearing, you know, the the core of that, the root of that. Yes. Let's go back to childhood. Uh, So I told you mostly my grandparents on my mom's side raised me my grandpa was one of eight and he played a little bit of piano but all of his brothers and sisters played either an instrument or they sang because my great grandma I called her little grandma was (laughs) a piano teacher um in fact that's how that whole family started Uh, I just want to share it's such a cute story like my great grandpa was a traveling musician and so he there was a train track that ran through Colton and they jumped off the tracks. And so he met my grandma because she was playing piano somewhere. And then they started playing music together and then they played in the church and then they had all their kids. And (laughs) yeah, uh, my, my grandpa's youngest brother first taught me clarinet. And then, so from I think fifth grade to junior high, I played clarinet first. Mm -hmm. And then in junior high, I was really into, this band called Rasputina. 
so and a bunch of like gothic music and so I wanted to learn piano so then my grandpa's second youngest brother I started taking piano lessons with him um, but then I wanted to sing so <laughs> starting freshman year my um, my grandpa's youngest sister sang but then I just started doubling up I would take piano and vocal lessons uh, with them and mm-hmm. so I and I was really you know on the discipline level of learning my musicianship through them mm-hmm. and then kind of practicing on my own but I think I was really inspired to even get heavy into music by my parents alone. I mean, even though they listen to out there music, my dad is an old punk rocker from like <laughs> Fontana, the IE, like old skater. So he was listening to a lot of like Dead Kennedys and even some Oi and Ska and stuff. And then my mom was really into gothic music and then later <laughs> on psychobilly. So all that stuff was just really, you know, especially gothic music or death rock, it's really out there and kind of innovative. <laughs> Even for that time, like death rock was innovative because it wasn't punk rock yet. Mm-hmm. And so I was really, it's funny now too, because there's all these like dark wave bands. I'm like, damn, this sounds just like my mom's music. <laughs> so I was just kind of inspired probably by my parents. I mean, we went to shows since I was like, my first show, I was in third grade. That's the and then, you know, growing up. Oh, also my parents, uh, speaking of the IE, <laughs> there was this place called Showcase Theater. Um, and the owner and booker of that place was Joe and Maria Lujan. And they were my mom and dad's like really good friends. And so sometimes they would babysit me and my sister, but they would have to work. So then we would just like chill at Showcase and watch whatever show, a lot of like hardcore metal and punk and local bands so it was it was really eye-opening and I saw the opportunity right in front of me you know my dad too was friends with a lot of people that were in bands or I guess just the skater scene yeah I remember being at like a skate show and then like DI played in a backyard or we were just like chilling sometimes in uh, Huntington Beach and there would be like random bands there 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 was a lot of like band brand like clothing and skate parties that yeah. I feel like I went to very young and I I didn't even know what it was at the time but I just thought it was cool and <laughs> you know I saw people expressing themselves and yeah. being themselves and so I thought you know I could do that and mm. so I was just like I dressed like such a crazy little weird skater when I was younger and um yeah I guess music inspired me to be my authentic self at that time Mm-hmm. and it it just really had like my family roots mm-hmm. and then even at church like my grandparents would make me go to church every Sunday and like half the choir and the musicians were my relatives <laughs> like my grandpa's kids brothers and sisters or their kids mm-hmm. and so um of course I would start a band of course <laughs> and of course it would be like a punk band at first because it that was my roots. Mm-hmm. And so um, the Giga Loops was mostly uh, that, like that aggression and expression. A lot of our lyrics were like anti-high school and just like talking about, you know, being dissat- like unsatisfying your parents. That was another thing too. Like, man, I really didn't realize my parents were people too being Mm -hmm. younger Mm -hmm. and so I wrote a lot of like angry songs typical high school like aggression against them like I'm not good enough and (laughs) 
Um, and then uh, some random songs, too. Like, I was really inspired by television, so I had, like, a song that was about, like, cartoons. It's like Sailor Moon. It's funny. <laughs> you know, and then Gigaloops would even... So I was inspired by all that, and I think my parents were, too. So uh, when my parents... So my parents had separated when I was um, younger, when we moved back to California. But then when we were in junior high, my dad was sober. No cigarettes, no drinking. And he was the best father he could. So we started, like, building ramps in the backyard. Mm. And he started this company with his friends. Shout out CNC Red Shop. <laughs> and just, like, you know, all the skater culture kind of cultivating in my own house. And then... They started throwing, like, shows for my sister and myself for our birthdays in the backyard. And so there were, like, these skater shows, but, like, like Johnny Cheapo, oh, man, played in our backyard. And then, like, uh, my mom started hanging out with, like, psychobilly people. So, like, Madsen came to our house. And then Gig Loops. What the hell? Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. I know. Like, Denmark psychobilly literally coming to my house. And, like... Uh, my mom would let us, like, have shows there, too, so, like, Gigaloops would play, and then we, like, let our friends' bands play, too, and that was, like, a whole, I don't know, kind of, I saw everything that you needed, okay, you need a PA, Mm -hmm. you need your, for your stage setup, you know, you need your communication, so I, I, like, would make flyers on, like, paint and then advertise on, like, MySpace, (laughs) and that's kind of, I think, where it really all started, just being a coordinator. (laughs) It's funny because you, it's like everything just makes sense. You know, this is happening in your backyard. Music is like super ingrained and it just makes total sense for you to be the type of person who can understand how a show is ran, how to put things together. You already have that ability or that want to make shit happen because when people are messing around, like get it together, you have that attitude. And it's funny because it's rooted. It's rooted. It's coming from a real place, right? And I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all whatsoever. You know, yeah, I think also, you know, I started working at a really young age too. And so when I think of my roots, I think of my musical roots, I think of just because my secret, I never sleep. And I've always had like three jobs. So I'm used to this like hustle lifestyle. Um, so, like, I had been working since I was 14. I started working at Taco Joe's and Rialto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, that's kind of, that's what helped me, too, get through a lot of things. I mean, after high school, so I started working in, when I was 14, but in high school, man, I paid for all my stuff. Mm-hmm. I think my microphone was a, a gift from my aunt, um, but everything, like my mic stand, my keyboard stand... I, I like, was really proud that I got all that stuff Mm -hmm. or, like, you know, some of my friends. I mean, my bass was, like, a present, and so was my my first guitar that I no longer have. But (laughs) I just just felt really proud to be able to, like, support myself and be Mm -hmm. super independent. And then even, like, when I went to college, um, which is a crazy thing because I got a scholarship my first year, but... um, after sorry my second year you know I still had three jobs and I didn't even have a car so I was like paying for my rent paying for everything by myself and going to school and still like doing my passion why do you think you were always such a hustler 
I felt like I had to be. Mm. And because I was for so long and I saw that, okay, I could still get straight A's in high school and work Mm. and have my band and my boo, you know, I felt like if I could do it then, then I should be able to do it for the rest of my life. Anything else happened in high school? Yeah, you know, high school was just the beginning of Giggle Loops. Um, I think college actually had a bigger impact on me overall, um, if you're talking about education. I mean, once I got to college, I met all kinds of people and I saw the, my path very differently. Uh, my sophomore year of college, I actually broke up the Giggle Loops to take college more seriously. So my freshman year, it sucks too, because what it could have showed. I, I remember my freshman year, my band played Battle of the Bands and we won. Wow. And then we played the barn full circle later on. I actually become the booking agent for the barn. But <laughs> I, I think after that, I, I felt like, um, there was no, where we would go would just be more struggle as an artist. So either I'm going to struggle as a college student or as an artist. And that was the cap of me being in a band in college, winning my own college's battle of the bands and performing at the college venue. And so I was like, you know what? That's fine with me. I, I kind of put my own limit on that, but everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. I really don't think I was meant to play punk rock forever. And, you know, I think my bandmates at the time, I mean, at this point, we had a whole other drummer too, because my, my cousin, she went to college and she's yeah, she's a badass now. So um, my my other cousin, Selena, who played guitar and the bass player, I think, I mean, they both still live in the IE. There's nothing wrong with that lifestyle, but I could tell I'm going to be on a different path than them mm-hmm. at that time. And so, you know, I think Selena even started another band mm-hmm. and they played for a long time. And then, you know, Betty ended up getting married and have a kid and she has her house in San Bernardino and that's a whole the whole thing. And I was just like, college is going to really take me somewhere else. I don't know where, but this, there's something bigger and Mm. I, I got to go this path. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, my first year of college, I was like a straight A student and I was working three jobs. I would still go home on the weekends and work at Taco Joe's. I was working in the dining hall. And then I started working at a record store called Sounds Like, which was in Riverside. And damn, I did not have a car. I really don't know. I was so lucky. How did you get there? Uh, friends would give me rides <laughs> or I would take the bus sometimes. A lot of friends. I had a lot of friends with cars. Um, <laughs> sometimes my dude would give me a ride too. Um, but you know, that's, that's like a little side note too. So all during all this time, I, I was with my high school sweetheart, like literally at age 15, my mom was like, either you can wear makeup or you can start dating. And, uh, backtrack but the summer between eighth grade and um, ninth grade I went to summer camp called Inland Empire Future Leaders of America (laughs) and this is like a summer camp in the IE for IE middle class students Mm. and it's it was really one of the best experiences that I had Um, it was founded by one of the an old director Thomas Rivera who's actually related to my grandma he was like the director of Kelsey San Bernardino. Mm-hmm. And so he really pushed me to do that program. And that I think was like, okay, yeah, college. It was all about motivating Latinos to be in mm-hmm. touch with their roots and also go to college. Mm, like and that. so, 
um, I met, like, my dude was a counselor <laughs> at the time. And so I met him, but we stayed in contact. And then I was a counselor myself. And so, you know, um, my sophomore year of high school, I think that was, like, a big thing, like, being a counselor and mentoring and other students. And mm-hmm. and then, like, seeing him thrive. He was, like, valedictorian of his ghetto-ass Pacific High School. I'm like, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of violence that happened there, and he still freaking made it. And then, um, so, so you really did pay attention to the GPA. (laughs) Oh, I was not messing around. Yeah. I was like, okay, you got the paper, you got it on paper. (laughs) And then he went to UCSD. So I applied there too. But at the time, I think the UC regions were still practicing affirmative action. So I didn't get into UCSD, but they were like, if you go to UCR, Mm -hmm. we will give you this scholarship Mm -hmm. for your freshman year. And I was like, oh shit yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm broke. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's no secret that um, UCR is voted the most diverse college in all the UC regions because, damn, I was a full product and experience of that. Mm -hmm. By my senior year, I lived in a household with an Indonesian, an Ethiopian, a Korean, and myself, Mexican-American. And that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was that was college that I was just learning so much about other cultures and, you know, other things, all my, my subjects and whatnot. And I really saw the world a lot bigger than uh, what I, I saw before. And so, uh, my, my second year, um, I started working more. I started as a volunteer my first year at KUCR. Uh, that's the college radio station at UCR. And then, um, I, I put in so much work, I think they really saw that I was dedicated. (laughs) So I became first the PSA director. So I would make all the public service announcements with my sexy radio voice. (laughs) I had my radio show. So then I became a music director. And then, you know, something shifted in that too. I, I, um, at this time now I'm only working at Mad Platter Records and, um, and KUCR because, um, I, at the end of my sophomore year, I was made manager and with that came a pay raise. So I was like, you know, I don't really have to work as hard mm-hmm. and Mad Platter, it was right there by UCR. And so, um, I kept that job for a while, but once I was made manager, I was given the privilege to also hire people. Mm. And that's when I hired, I hired a lot of my friends like Eddie from Kita Penas. He's the student <laughs> manager or he's a manager now, um, and a lot of really strong relationships that are still in my life today mm. start stemmed from KUCR and the KUCR family. And so um, at the end, or in junior year, there was this guy, shout out to Dexter Thomas. <laughs> Dexter is a badass. He now works for Vice. Um, he was graduating from UCR and going to Japan to study hip-hop. <laughs> okay, so he's... Uh, African-American kid from San Bernardino also who mm-hmm. also uh, knew my ex they both went to like a school for gifted students so that's kind of how I knew him but even separate from from my ex like we worked together and I think he saw how serious I took KUCR and so he was like look I'm leaving and I this whole situation is developing I want to give this to you so what was happening is the UC barn or the barn the venue on campus was being managed by a student affairs, I think, mm. or student housing, and they're whack. They're asking KUCR to help them book 
to bring, you know, some leverage. And uh, I had been a music director already for a year and a half at this point. So I, I said, yes, of course. And so he, he showed, he gave me a rundown. He's like, you know, the person who names the price first always loses. And that's like the most solid advice he could give me in terms of booking. (laughs) So I started booking the barn. I booked a couple seasons and I was doing everything from finding, you know, the homie to make the flyer, (laughs) making the PSA, booking the bands, doing the budget. Like, damn. Um, I mean, I had I had Eddie towards the end who started helping me and then uh, Elliot Fong, too. I think he's still at KCR. Shout out. I had some help, but. It was a lot. I was literally doing everything while learning it at the same time. Mm. And so. um, But I'm sure that benefited you because clearly like, you know how to put shit together. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, those skills stayed with me forever, Uh, even after graduation. So, you know, then comes time of graduation and I really didn't see myself staying at UCR and I, I don't know. I just wanted to keep growing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I grew from Giga Loops and I saw myself growing away from KUCR too. I always knew there was like something else, something mm-hmm. else. I didn't know what it was yet, mm-hmm. but I ended up, um, working with one of my professors and, um, this organization called Critical Resistance. And I made my first soundtrack for documentary and, uh, that was called Visions of Abolition you know, I got to meet Angela Davis. It was really dope. That's so cool. It was so cool. And that was my first job after graduation. Damn. But I was not prepared for that, that kind of hustle life. The, you know, you live from contract to contract. Mm. And so I thought, I, I don't know, I needed to get a steady job. I didn't like it. So I started uh, teaching. And you know what? In hindsight, I really thought back then, well, I could always just be a teacher mm. because like all of my my grandpa's brothers and sisters kids everyone that was of sound mind on in my family was a teacher mm-hmm. or a substitute teacher or worked in higher education and so i thought that was a valid path so I, that's a safe path that's like yeah. why a lot of our that's where i'm at i mean think about that i worked oh, in education i came out of college i was working in education like it is what it is yeah i i mean i worked in higher education now like I, yeah but back then I uh I thought like I was gonna have to commit to that and I don't know I, I I was just graduating in the worst year right after the recession I, there was the No Child Left Behind Act mm-hmm. which funded a lot of private and after school programs so I was teaching math to kids that could barely speak English I took my CBEST and I was about to start substituting for Riverside County when I got a DUI. Mm-hmm. And so now we're in 2011. I graduated in 2010. And so at this time, you know, I'm in a relationship with someone who is not a good person. Um, at, at this time, he's not. I mean, we we worked because we were both musicians. And, you know, I booked, I helped play in his band sometimes. You know, I booked my first tour which was dope. It was like from California all the way to Louisiana and Texas and back. And uh, I did all of that by myself, but I, I really needed like some foundation, even though I was like doing everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I needed that DUI to freaking slap me in the face because I was teaching. 
I was also working for a Christian music agency, so I was like booking bands. I had no desire to even listen to their music. And it was not healthy. It was everything around me was toxic. Do you feel like your life was really unorganized at that time? Oh, yeah. I was literally like just going. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even stopping to think what I was doing. Like that that organization, that job offer, it just popped up and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, booking bands. I'm into it. Mm -hmm. And not because you wanted to do it, but because you knew you could. I knew I could. Yeah. And even teaching, I knew I could. But um, what had happened what had happened was getting that DUI caused me to lose my job. Um, and then I thought, you know, and then I had called, um, my, my partner at the time from jail and he freaking laughed at me and hung up. So when I got out of jail, I was like, we're over. Mm-mm. And so I moved in with my sister. That's so hurtful. I know. Trash. Mm-hmm. I moved in with my sister. Thank God she was there to take care of me. And I just worked towards getting another job and I tried all kinds of weird things like I got my license to sell life insurance so random (laughs) and I didn't even care for that job either and because they didn't do a background check and it wasn't until the weekend before fourth of July I went at this time I'm like working with um some friends in an art collective called Coachella Valley Art Scene and I went to uh, Ace Hotel. They had an event there to hang out with my friends. And I was telling them everything that was happening. And one of my friend's sister, who I just <laughs> met that day, but I vibed so hard with her, was like, why don't you just come live with me? Damn. Like that. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, you know, I have this extra room in my house on the west side. Nice spot. It was so nice. She... Uh, had a contract to live there. She didn't want to move. She said she would just charge me 500 bucks a month, which, mm. oh, my God, Danielle, shout out to Danielle. She she, she is like, whoo, yeah. That's I'm, crazy. That's the universe. Uh, that, she is the universe. <laughs> she, so I moved in with her on 4th of July. And then um, I got a job at this child acting agency. It was trash. It was <laughs> it was really trash. Um I just felt bad because, and the reason why they hired me is they're like, oh, you worked with children? Yeah. And I, I really was good working with children, but the parents, it was just not a good. It's always the parents. The parents are the worst. Yeah. They were. But they want the best for their kids. So I get it. But kids working with them by themselves, like they're just pure. They're innocent. And they're, they're easier to work with. Yeah. They were grateful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I moved to the West side, um, and I worked odd jobs. I, um, you know, I I really tried to just stay, save money, make it work. Um, and then I really, I didn't really feel like I was like growing much. The only thing I really looked forward to every year was Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so what had happened was when I was living my last year of college. I, was, I lived in a beautiful house. It was called the Celeste house. You know, that's where, um, Tana, Francis, and my friend Alex, we all pretty much lived there. And we would throw all kinds of events like movie nights and dance parties that were craft themes and even yoga <laughs> and camping in the front yard. And our other friend, Sarah would come over and Sarah saw how creative we were. And she was given the opportunity to start the Coachella Valley art scene at mm-hmm. Coachella, which is like an arts and crafts 
uh, workshop at Coachella, the music festival. And so I didn't go the first year, but the second year I was given an opportunity to actually lead my own team. And it was kind of a, a shit show the first year. I I made like random crafts. And then the next year I was like, okay, I'm going to get it together. <laughs> and I really looked forward to that. I made like this giant paper mache pair of scissors for decor. And I like made everyone name tags. I was so much more organized. I already knew how to work a budget. And so, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, I, I had my own team and I was doing my craft thing. And that was like the best thing that I was like doing every year. Cause besides that, I was just really hustling. I couldn't get like a real job, a respectable job with my DUI. And so, in 2013, I started working, I met a partner, um, and this would be my first polyamorous relationship. <laughs> but then we started working at a, a law firm together, and he was like, you know, I can just expunge your DOI for you. And I was like, what? <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, he did. And it, I could not believe it worked. I cried when I got the letter in the mail that, you know, I was just like, oh my God, thank God. <laughs> in the third year of your receipt, uh, the recipient year of your DUI, you're eligible, mm. but it still stays on your driving record for 10 years. But I don't care. I, I'll pay the expensive insurance. <laughs> sure. I, I just wanted to get a real job. So, um, yeah, in 2000. 14 I still was like hustling but I was kind of like you know I was really into um I was really into music again uh I had stopped playing music for a long time so I started playing my with my old songs with the band that I had played before I I moved to LA we were called at the time the adventures of a whaling ship (laughs) and then um this event that happens, it's really dope in Riverside called Saturation Fest, mm-hmm. um, gave me an opportunity to book my own show. So I called it Saturado and it was all <laughs> Latin music. It was pretty much like a Latin music showcase. Um, I booked Quita Penas. That's how I met um, Richie mm-hmm. Delodeso, mm-hmm. um, Cumbia Machine, uh, this band called Zumbi, who that's how I met um, Erika Ogrenista of <laughs> El Jorokuroi. You know, I really, and then uh, also DJ Francesca Harding. Back then, she was Panamami. <laughs> and I stayed friends with all these people. Mm-hmm. This is in 2013. So um, in 2014. These are all people that I still see you hanging out with. So like, these are genuine friendships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of my friends I keep in my life. And I I was talking to my, my boyfriend <laughs> recently about this. And he's like, you know, our are you getting an equal exchange of that energy? Mm. And I don't know. I, I love people. I have a curiosity for personality types and all kinds of people. But um, it wasn't even until this year that I started actually asking myself that question. But these are good people. You know, I met Tristan, um, who are now on Fabrics that year. Mm-hmm. And so um, we started performing. In 2013, I played as Ventureship, my old songs. But then I started working with Tristan um he was recording music so he worked for blue microphones hey shout out to blue microphones (laughs) and then uh we were making like like songs with all these blue microphones oh so dope uh and we had a lot of fun so then in in 2000 
2015, I think we played, no, 2014, we even played our first show together. It was really <laughs> dope. It was all new music. Um, but I think at that point, I felt like free mm-hmm. because I didn't have the DUI. And, you know, I was super free. I was in like this this open relationship and I was like making my music finally mm-hmm. after so many years. And um, I, and then Coachella came again. And after Coachella, my friend was like, uh, shout out to Alex. She was like, <laughs> hey, you know, my dad is teaching sabbatical in London, but he has like this big vacant house in the Bay. Do you want to like come live here for free and like get your life together? What the yeah, because even though I had my DUI expunged, I was still working like the restaurant industry and yeah. hustling. I mean, I was working for Insomniac and the Wiltern and Palladium, and I was doing like just production life. And mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard on your back and your body. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that forever. So um, I I ended up taking that offer. And so I have a crazy story. Like I moved to the Bay. I did... I did a cleanse. I wrote some songs by myself. I I just went hiking a lot. And then I just got over it. I was too far from my family and from my partner. So then I moved to San Diego um, where my partner was. But because his best friend, shout out to Dee, had an extra room in her house. And it was dope. She's a very empowering woman. So I Mm -hmm. lived with her. And then I was working at this radio station down there. So I was like, okay, you know, getting back on my feet. And then I I found out something about my partner. It's if people will know who he is, so I don't want to say it, but it I didn't agree with that. I was so heartbroken. I didn't know what to do. I called my best friend Tana and she was like, Why don't we go to Brazil? <laughs> I was like, Oh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> and so, um, I saved up some money and then we get there and they're like, where's your passport for Brazil? We're like, what? And so at the time, Brazil was charging Americans an extra passport to go to their country. But luckily we had a layover on that flight in Peru. We're like, mm. you know what? We're just going to stay in Peru. We're not going to go. What the fuck? So we so on the fly. That's how you got to Peru? That's how I got to Peru on the fly. We <gasps> that just wasn't went. Even meant to, that was meant to be. It was, oh, what girl. the heck? That oh, was girl. I had the most beautiful trip with her. <laughs> yeah, Again, cleansing yourself. Just really getting to know who I am away from my environment. Mm. And just choosing to accept everything that is there. And then choosing to take a new path. So, you know, I took the path of travel. And when I came back, I I was like, I'm not going to stay here. So I moved back. I moved to Long Beach for a little bit. And um, I, I stayed with my mom for about a month and a half. And I'm really glad I did that because I was fighting for so long to not ask my mom for help for anything. But that really started getting us closer as Mm -hmm. a a, in a mother-daughter relationship Mm -hmm. then I moved back to LA then I started my new band and then I started working uh I started working again um for Palladium this chick Eleanor Gorin shut up you know uh she she hooked it up um I I would work like festivals and stuff for her and then um so I ended up moving uh, back to Long Beach again, because I was living in this artist co-op in downtown. I was really dedicated to being my authentic self, mm-hmm. despite my environment. But I, I don't know. I just couldn't take it. So I moved in with my mom and she, I got a, a, in a closer relationship with her, but she was like, 
yo, you got to get your life together. You really do. I get it. You're having a good time. You're traveling. You're like working this festival hustle, but it's not going to sustain. I didn't have health insurance. Mm, I didn't have a, I didn't have a retirement plan. Yeah. I didn't Mm -hmm. have nothing. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Uh, I was like, okay, I need to do one more thing. I went out. I was going to go to Columbia with uh, with Eddie, <laughs> my, the homie. So I went. I actually booked um, a Columbia trip with Keith Penas and a couple other homies because they wanted to go and I wanted to go. Me and my friend Eddie, we were like brother and sister. We talk about traveling all the time. And I was like, yo, we got to actually go because when we come back, I'm going to get my shit together. <laughs> so... Right before we leave, I go out to a bar um, to meet up a friend, and this old friend from my way, way, way past is there, and she's like, "What? Are, what are you up to now? Who are you? You know?" And I'm like, "Hey, what's your name again? Noni. Yeah, shout out Pisces <laughs> connection." And I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna go to Columbia, but when I come back, I don't have a job." And she's like, "Well, if you want a boring office job, I got you." And so I go to Columbia. Uh, it was so great. The whole purpose of going was to go to Festival Patronia, which is the Pacific Marimbin Festival. And damn, the culture there is mm, chef's kiss. <laughs> it's que rico. Like, everything is beautiful. The people were so nice. Every part, you know, I I deviated from the boys. I did my own, like, ecotourism. I did, like, this 11-mile hike to mm-hmm. the beach through the jungle. And I, like, slept there and then, like, hiked back to the city. Yeah, it was dope. You're crazy. I you doing that alone, I just cannot. Oh, I, had, I convinced one. <laughs> okay. So not Keith Penas, but a shout out to Anthony, my friend Avocado Blood. So especially damn when I went to Peru, some I traveled by myself. I did a hike by myself because Titana wasn't down. And uh she she stayed at the resort, you know, doing her bougie lifestyle. I was like, no, nah, I want to do this hike. I hiked all the way to the bottom of Arequipa and Coca Canyon. And in the middle of the night, someone tried to break into my room. Mm-mm. And I just screamed, ayuda, ayudame. And this, my guide that helped me get down there came. And damn. yeah, damn. Yeah, that's... Shout out to that tour guide. Because yeah. what the fuck? I know. That would have sucked. Yeah, so... That's scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so after Columbia, I came back. And then I started working. I moved in with Noni. Because mm-hmm. she had an extra room to glendale and then we started working in this company in glendale and damn i was living that corporate life like nine to five i was hating it um but you know what i had women's wave we had started women's wave i think in december november 2016 yeah okay so i started working (laughs) in january and in um no not even january in december i started working at um in glendale for this company and um i think that was what was different between me and noni mm-hmm. um she was so used to that like nine to five life and i was like no i gotta do something else like sometimes we would go out but i realized like nah i'm more than this mm-hmm. and so we would record with women's wave and mm-hmm. You know, that that brought a lot of light to me in that whole year. It was... And that was such a sisterhood. So it's like whenever, like, we were off track or we needed that, like, guidance, it was, like, that moment to get together, reevaluate, and be inspired by one another, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, I I did accept that I was different, ultimately. Mm -hmm. And I chose to give that energy to Women's Wave. 
and and fabrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fabrics and I started uh, perform or recording consistently, and um, yeah, it was that. Was, now we're in two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what kept me going and kept me sane was the music and women's wave. <laughs> uh, by the time, you know, everything happens for a reason. I worked there for um, a year, a little over a year, but I it was so sketch. I pretty much worked in a marketing department that was obsolete. And so what had happened was my my boss's job was threatened, but then I was fired and all my whole department eventually was fired. And it was literally the day before I was planning to move out of Noni's place. So I was planning. I remember that. Yeah, I was I was moving back to Echo Park in this this house with musicians. It just made more sense. I was not happy living um, in Glendale, and so everything happens for a reason. I got fired, and then I moved out, and then I was like, I'm tight. You know, it's I was gonna sign up for like unemployment or just start hustling again, but then. My friend had suggested that I sign up for a temp agency, and literally the next day I got a job. And I, the next day I got another job offer, and the next day I got another job offer. And I was just like, damn, you know, who needs to be hurting out here? <laughs> I, I ended up, uh, and I kept interviewing too, so um, it came a standstill. I saw, like, the path that I felt comfortable with. At first I was working at this this agency again like a advertising agency in downtown but the culture there I was not vibing Mm -hmm. and then I I got the interview for um where I work now I work at a law school and um it it was dope like Mm -hmm. I loved my boss I I could tell it was a woman all women office except Mm -hmm. for like the one gay guy (laughs) and so we're just like you know vibing and that's what really felt genuine and damn I came a long way to end Mm -hmm. up there but I feel like this is the authentic me again back in higher education I work in financial aid so I literally educate people on Mm -hmm. loans all day long and Mm -hmm. help them make better decisions with their money Mm -hmm. and you know, I, I've learned so much. I feel smarter about, Mm -hmm. you know, possibly even funding my higher education if I choose that path. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think after being there for a year, I feel more comfortable now to do me. And so, you know, you heard the whole story. I came from so long, but now I'm like, okay, here Mm -hmm. I am. I'm doing fabrics with the message from the heart. And, I'm still being creative. So I, this year I started booking shows mm-hmm. at Songbird. And each show is so genuine. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first one, <laughs> shout out to Amp. <laughs> the first one was like so successful that the the owner was like, yeah, you can have you can have more than once a month. But it's, it's a lot to do more than once a month. So it was like, you know, no brainer. And even that opportunity was given to me by my involvement in the music scene. So I'm I'm just grateful for um, all the people that I know and all the love that I've been given because that's the ultimately the theme of my life, just people giving me opportunity mm-hmm. and then making the best of it. Yeah. Accepting and then choosing mm-hmm. and, you know, giving love and receiving it back. Mm-hmm. So... And I think you need to accept that we place our own limitations on ourselves 
And then we think like this is all or we can't do more. But guess what? That's not true. There's so much more we can do. And obviously your story shows that even sometimes we know we can do more, but we set, you know, we have those limitations and then we surprise ourselves. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I do. I know I can do more. I yeah. just. It's scary out there. And so at so the same much. time that we you want to do more, we also want to be safe. We want to be secure. We want to have that stable paycheck. And that's a reason why so many people struggle with that, especially creatives. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, my best friend, Tana, she works in the festival production industry. And she's always, almost every time we're on the phone at the end, she's always trying to convince me to go her path. But her path, girl, she, you know, she doesn't have retirement. She doesn't have her own health. In, she Her company doesn't pay for her health insurance because she works freelance. Mm -hmm. And it's just so scary. I, I don't know. <laughs> we're different. You know, we're all different. It's like it's, it's some jobs are for us and some jobs are not for us. So we got to decide, like, what is what do we value and what do we want at the end of the day? Yeah, I think I want security because mm -hmm. I've had such a... a of really moving my life I've been moving so much and mm -hmm. it, I just kind of gravitate to the stability mm -hmm. and um even music like the stability of music that's why I I keep contributing to even fabrics because mm -hmm. it's been the most stable project in mm -hmm. all these years because fucking Tristan is reliable shout out Tristan <laughs> shout out to reliable people shout who are consistently out. reliable <laughs> consistency yeah, so here I am, and uh, the Fabric's first album yeah, is out, out of Space Time. Yes. And, you know, it took two years. We we did a lot of work on this album. Uh, I mean, Tristan produced the fuck out of it. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's I was great. bumping it before Eleanor got here to get the vibes right. <laughs> you know, ultimately, the vibe of the whole album is to motivate people to be their authentic selves. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the song lyrics seem a little apocalyptic, mm -hmm. but it's about getting to that point to where you realize, you know, who you are is who you are right now. Mm -hmm. You don't have to take the weight of your past life mm -hmm. with you and move forward. Mm -hmm. Because if I did that, I would be reliving a life of trauma. But I chose... And you would be stuck. Stuck, yes. I chose to let go of it. And grow something more beautiful mm -hmm. from that pain. And, you know, I have no regrets. I I wish I did more, if anything, if that is my regret. But I, I think everything happens for a reason. And uh, I think, you know, I am given the people in my life and the opportunities of my life because I was supposed to get to this point. Mm -hmm. And there's more. There's it keeps going. There's so much more and it's so exciting. Okay. So before we move on to the next segment, I ask all my guests these final two questions because I just think it's so interesting. And also also when I hear the answers, it kind of gives me an insight to them and they're in, you know, why they do what they do. So the first one is what drives you to do what you do? Um, you know, I think it's something inside of me that I can't shed. I think innately I w was born to be creative and I think everybody else inspires me <laughs> as well to be an even more authentic version of myself. So I'm mostly driven by this sense of passion mm. that is just within me 
And I'm also driven by this this voice that said, tells me that I can do more. Mm. I know I can do anything. You can. <laughs> I just got to see the steps and then start walking there. <laughs> um, what does success look like to you? Yes. To, success to me is peace within. Mm. When you can forgive yourself for even the smallest thing and when you are truly at peace with yourself you have reached the highest point of happiness Mm. because you're never truly happy if you're always you know pitting towards any sort of negative thought whether it's someone or something that you did that held you back so I really think self-forgiveness is important Mm -hmm. and the essence of happiness we're going to move on to the next segment. I want to thank Eleanor for being here, but we still have her because when the next segment, we're going to have a few questions from our listeners. So um, let's jump into segment number three. Uh, what? So during this segment, we um, have listeners send in questions for our guests, and we got some really cool ones. Um, and so the first question we got was, Eleanor, what is your biggest takeaway from the IE? I think the IE inspires one to create because when you have almost nothing, you have nothing left but to make something. Mm. And so, you know, the IE gets a lot of flack for being ghetto or whatever, but I think it's a big opportunity Mm-hmm. I think I'm a breathing, living example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an opportunity to make something even greater. And, you know, I have love for the IE. A lot of my beautiful connections in this life come from mm-hmm. that place. And I'm never going to deny those roots either. Mm-hmm. So I think innovativeness. I like that. If you plan on having children one day, how would you raise them? <laughs> the gratitude. No, for real, I, my whole life, the, the theme is just, you know, people giving me love and, and opportunity. So, of course, I, I plan to raise my children with a lot of love. But I have, if you know, my my uh, boyfriend is Peruvian. So I have my, my whole life plan. I really thought about this. <laughs> I really want to raise my children among music and um, minimal screens around themselves. Uh, But even after that, once my children hit puberty, I think it's really important to raise them in a place outside of the U.S. The U.S., you know, it's great land of opportunity, Mm -hmm. but we really teach values of consumption. Mm -hmm. And I think if you move to a place, especially Peru. Peru is so beautiful and peaceful, Mm. a place where uh, consumption is brought down to the level of just necessity. Mm. You get a greater sense of your authentic self, especially at a time of puberty when individuals are most most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So I think I would birth my children here and move over there and then (laughs) raise them no, I really thought about this. You know, I could always just teach English in another country. <laughs> you can. You really can. And then uh, move them back here and force them to apply to college. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely thought about that. I thought about it. <laughs> we actually had a conversation about that, so I was glad somebody asked that question. 
Um, the next question was, uh, what's your secret for balancing life, love, and passion? You know, I think it's really important to blend your love and passion together. Uh, for example, the love of my life. <laughs> we do music together. I mean, it's no surprise that um, my lover would be a musician mm-hmm. um, because that's something that I've always valued. So I think, yeah, integrating some of those things, love and passion, uh, but a balance really comes from being able to be yourself among the structure in your life. So, you know, for every hour that you put in to doing something for someone else, you have to make sure you return that hour to yourself. I work 35 hours a week, so I try to do things for myself 35 hours a week, mostly in the weekends. Yeah. You know, I I really try. I mean, the secret is don't sleep. <laughs> I don't know if I can take that advice because I suck when I'm tired. Uh, you know, but you know what? Everyone's different and it works for you. I sleep like four hours a night sometimes, uh, especially when I have things like band practice. Yeah. Or DJing, which I'm DJing tomorrow, September 19th. What up? Come to Songbird. Um, (laughs) It's for a good cause. When did you start uh, getting into DJing? Oh, yeah, during KUCR. So when I first started at KUCR in like 2006, I was only a DJ. uh, And I learned how to like mix on a board with CDJs. Wow. And... When I started booking events at the barn, sometimes I wouldn't find a DJ or I wouldn't want to spend money in my budget on a DJ, so I would just DJ, kind of like how I do now. <laughs> That's, like, smart, though. You've got to be resourceful, you know? Like, you got to work with what you got. Yeah, so I started off on CDJs, and then when I first moved to L.A., I, was, I had a lot of DJ friends. I was given some DJ opportunities and I just would work in waves. You know, if I had an opportunity and I was getting paid, I'm a freaking hustler. Of course, I'm not going to say no to a DJ gig. Um, but I think only now I really started thinking about taking that path more seriously. Mm. Um, do you see yourself staying in L.A. long term? I see myself growing as an artist in L.A., but I'm not sure I would I would raise a family in L.A. So long term in the next for the next 20 years maybe not but you know I always come back to LA Mm -hmm. LA is my home you know I know I'm from the IE and I know people got their passion about the IE but I really got the opportunity in LA and Mm -hmm. you know I've only I've lived here since 2011 Mm -hmm. and in that time I've made so many friends so many connections I know this city like the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. I have the gut for the homelessness and the stinkiness. And, you know, this is this is my home. Mm-hmm. I think I'll always come back to L.A. even when I take breaks. Mm-hmm. I love L.A. Whatever. I'm here. There's so many good things about the city. Do you have a bucket list? And if so, can you share a thing or two? Damn, I do have a bucket list. A few things. Okay, so I just made this plan um, with my boyfriend. So uh, there's 50 states, <laughs> and we've been combined. We've been to a few together, but combined we can like knock off five. 
states. Uh, so we want to go to two states a year for each other's birthday and see the country through backpacking and camping. So that's on my bucket list. I also want to put out another album, mm. a solo album with kind of a summary message of my story that you heard today. Just uh, it's going to be, you know, a story of love and pain and growth. But I definitely want to do that sometime in my life. And I would like to start a family. Oh, <laughs> it's funny because a few years ago, Eleanor was like, I don't know. I don't know. A, so obviously I'm not polyamorous anymore. But when you're in that life, you're just really thinking of, yeah. of you know, the health. I don't think I just be. felt like Eleanor just had to find the right one. And I feel like she found the right one. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to my partner, Chewy Louie. I don't even know your partner like that, but, like, I know, like, this is different. Yeah. You know? Like, just you and your attitude, you're still you 100%. Oh, yeah. And he's just bringing out, like, he's making you better. Like, he's making you be more you and be, like, you're still staying staying true. And that's hard. You know, he's not making me do anything, but (laughs) he encourages. (laughs) There you go. You know, that's really true. I live in a house with kids, essentially, right now, and... Uh, damn, <laughs> they call me mom or they say like, oh, mom's home. I've heard them say that. And I'm like, you know, he reminds me to be patient. He is the most patient person in the timeline. I'd say 2019. I definitely found my Prince Charming. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's funny because we, we haven't really been together that long, but I really do. When someone asks him how long we've known each other, he says all our past lives. And I believe in that. You guys are like the same. I, <laughs> I know. You guys are like on the same tip. I love that. We're on the same level. And that's really important too, to find a partner that not just matches you. I mean, you want to have someone that's at your level, but that also encourages you. Mm-hmm. I'm about this growth life and so is he. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, he's not a perfect person, but mm-hmm. we encourage each other to be mm-hmm. better versions of ourselves and it's not like we're telling each other, do this mm-hmm, or do that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I see the example you're setting and you see me. And so, you know, we'll we'll work towards that higher self path together. Mm-hmm. But it, it takes time. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I'm 32 <laughs> and I barely met the love of my life. So I have hope for people out there. <laughs> Don't lose hope. He's out there. <laughs> All right. So that's pretty much segment number three. Uh, Let's go into segment number four and talk about current events. Yo, talk that talk. So during this segment, we just kind of talk about current events or whatever is going on in the world. And over the last week, Tyler, the creator, posted a tweet and everybody in the Inland Empire had a (laughs) fucking fit. And so I'm going to read the tweet and then me and Eleanor being women that come from the Inland Empire that live in L.A. now. We're going to discuss it. And so Tyler's tweet was, wanted to publicly thank my mom for not moving to Moreno Valley or the IE in 2004, like a lot of people from LA did because, man, I would have sucked. Thank you. So, Eleanor, give me your thoughts. All right. I don't want to say that he would have sucked. I mean, we don't know. What it could have shut up. We really don't know. That's a whole other dimension. Yeah. But I know particularly MoVal had a lot of culture going Mm -hmm. on, especially during that time. So, 
I think in 2006, I met Speak, but mm-hmm. the, that full rolled with a whole crew. UTV Lifestyle, shout out. <laughs> uh, I think they were all doing their own, you know, mostly kind of hip hop thing. I mean, they're, that's clo- Moval is close to UCR, and then you have other heads like Gopi and, mm-hmm. you know, Hip Hop Congress. Gopi went to Bloomington High with me. <laughs> that shit's a trip, dude. <laughs> now he's working for Golden Voice. Good life. From Bloomington to Golden Voice. Yo, anything is possible. <laughs> Yo, for real. <laughs> I mean, I think Tyler wouldn't have been who he is today, but he definitely still could have been a remarkable artist. Mm-hmm. I mean, those fools are still making music. It wouldn't have been Odd Future. It would have been Tyler and UTB. I, I really believe in that. But, you know, throwing shade, I it's true. I remember uh, towards the end of high school, there were some students that had transferred to Colton High from Bell Gardens because, mm-hmm. yeah, real estate was affordable during mm-hmm. that time. But that's just because, you know, the IE was designed for that. It literally is designed to be the suburbia away from the city for the working class. Mm -hmm. That's why the freaking train still runs through there, Mm -hmm. you know? And I don't think he means it like throwing shade, like I would have sucked because the IE sucks. Mm -hmm. I think he just, it wasn't aware of Mm -hmm. the culture that was there during that time. I mean, he's from LA. He's not been like it's not like he knew the culture he didn't know anything going on so it's like it's kind of like you have to take it with a grain of salt yeah you know what i mean like he's not coming from a place where he really really knows enough about the ie and what was going on there to say that i think he just all he knows is like this is this was my path and this is where i am and this is where what happened and so of course like his life would have been altered in a a different way had he moved to the inland empire a hundred percent but honestly i'm not offended by this because he literally doesn't know what his life would have been we don't know what his life would have would have been his life is what it is. He was in L.A. He was a big influence to a lot of these weirdo kids, you know, outcasts, kids, skater kids, a lot of kids that were just not fitting in. And he... he if anything, he would have fit in more because that is mobile. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, it just was meant... It wasn't meant to be that he was in the IE. Maybe, like, I would talked about this with my coworker, and he's like, you know, maybe he shouldn't have tweeted that. It's okay to feel that way, but to publicly put it out there, it kind of makes it so people feel a way about it mm-hmm. and i'm like yeah i guess but i'm just like i don't know i'm just not offended because at the end of the day like i know where i come from i come from the inland empire the inland empire made me i will never throw shade you know that's my roots and that's where my parents live i'm i'm always go back i'm almost there almost every single like every other weekend i'm almost there so it's like it is what it is it's home you know and i know there's a lot of culture there's a lot of stuff like lisa noah had common ground there's the utb guys speak so much stuff comes from the inland empire and like i can't knock that but like i don't know you really gotta take this with a grain of salt that's all i gotta say you know what shout out to the ie the ie all the artists you just named right now (laughs) they're humble as fuck and the ie humbled me down when i first moved to la i remember like dealing with the type of person you just you have to face face to face this shallowness or even people that move here from other states Mm -hmm. that feel entitled to this like Mm -mm. la facade i'm sorry i don't read it Mm -mm. i'm a real one Mm -hmm. thank you for that you making me this way (laughs) yep um so piggybacking off of that we're gonna talk about camflana so who do you think is gonna be the special guest (laughs) girl i am just hoping praying (laughs) 
<laughs> I really do hope it's just Frank Ocean. Yep. Frank. Oh I hope God. he drops music before Campana. Like if he dropped oh, music. Yeah. You, okay, first of all, Campana is going to be in November. It's September. He better drop music October. between now and October. October. Isn't that when he came out with Ambagan, 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 some? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably because it was the months following Blonde. Yeah. The months following Blonde were so good because he was Forever. dropping. Oh, like, it was so good. Yeah. Damn it. Come on, Frank. Come on. We need you. But anyway. Come on, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> his name is like, what is his name? Lonnie I don't even his, know. I Lonnie, think his name is Francis. I don't think so. Eleanor's going to Google it because we uh, just want to make sure uh, what Frank goes. His name is like Christopher. I think his Also, shout out to Frank Ocean because he's my number one. He is also oh. born in the year of the rabbit, like Ooh. Eleanor and I. And he's a Scorpio, and I'm a Scorpio. And you know what? I just love my Scorpio man. Shout out I don't, to can't you, with them. Christopher Edwin Cooksey. Oh, my God. I told you his name was Christopher. Christopher Edwin? God, okay, I thought it was just Francis. Let him, you know, just let him go. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> okay, so we're. I'm going to talk about something fun that Eleanor has nothing has no idea about, but we're talking about sports because football season is back, and I'm just really excited for the fall. I'm really looking forward to this fall season. I'm looking forward to the the uh, weather change like I'm about this life like I'm over summer I kind of want to get my Disney pass again because I really want to experience Disneyland during the fall because it's just like I need those fall vibes but anyway football's back I'm an Eagles fan fly Eagles fly we beat the Redskins bye also what the fuck is going on with Antonio Brown supposedly now he raped somebody I don't know but I hope that's not true and also uh, I just feel like he has a lot of, there's just like a lot of negativity around him. I hope he figures it out because he's a great player. I'm not going to lie. Also, the Dodgers won their seventh consecutive National League West Los title. Lawyers. Los Doyers. And we bleed blue over here. So shout out to the Doyers. Um, good for them. I hope they finally win the World Series. I don't really care about baseball. I just love sports. So if it's in my city, yay, it'll be good because everybody else will be in a good mood. Um, the Mexico national team beat Woo! USA last week. Um, 3-0. It but, is what it is. But then they lost against Argentina 4-0. Yeah, but Argentina's so good. I don't know. Whatever. I just fucking love my Mexico national team. Like, that's when I'm the most Mexican. Like, people try to talk to me. I'm like, ¿qué? And I'm just, like, speaking Spanish the whole time. No me estén hablando a mí porque ahorita estoy, estoy viendo el juego y ahorita no porque ahorita sí se puede, okay? So, anyway. <laughs> I just sí got real, real, real Latina. So, now we're going to switch gears and talk about something that's heavy um, we're going to talk about Hurricane Dorian. He it was a he was it was a category five five um, category five hurricane. It hit the Bahamas on Sunday, September first, and it was the strongest hurricane on record in the Bahamas. Uh, when I checked last, the death toll was fifty, but there's two thousand five hundred people still missing, and there's more than seventy thousand people that need life saving assistance. Um, so I don't know. I think. I mean, I would look into um, ways to like maybe donate some money. I know there's always cause like different sites and different things you can donate to, but I mean, even like a few bucks would probably be helpful for these people. Like that, I can't even imagine experience experiencing hurricanes. We have earthquakes, but we haven't had one in so long. Knock on wood. You, you know what's so crazy too? The Trump administration cut uh, hurricane relief funding right before the strike too. So. 
And it's not like they're, the administration's going to quickly reverse that. I'm sure there's action or someone advocating action mm-hmm. to seek relief. But this is a community that straight up lost their home. And a lot of those families don't even see themselves returning back to the island mm-hmm. because there's it's messed up. There's nothing returning. Return, and also statistically, the frequency of these types of hurricanes are getting more and also higher impacting the island even at a higher rate. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really seem plausible mm-hmm. to go back and restart your life as it was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really devastating. I really think nationally we need to consider, you know, because the Bahamas and Puerto Rico mm-hmm. are our providences. So we really need to rethink of how we're going to structure or at least care for those societies Mm -hmm. and cutting the budget reliefs for disasters is not the right way we people don't care unless they're affected by it you know like the administration like they're not being affected it's not like they have family in puerto rico or yeah and it's not like the resources of the islands are bringing you know a lot of collateral either but I that's another that's what I hate about this country is you know we are so capitalistic that mm-hmm. we can lose empathy for an entire peoples because mm-hmm. we think it's of all about e- money yeah we think of everything in terms of monetary value and so um, shout out to everybody that all the lives that are affected by the hurricane and I I'm just praying to the universe that Mm -hmm. energy positive energy brings some sort of relief so that's all we have today for current events (laughs) eleanor before we go where can we find you and where can we find fabrics of space time yes go out and if you would like please purchase the album uh you know we we've been trying to just sell the album first before getting on all streaming platforms uh, we're pretty much there, which I'm so grateful. Thank you, thank you, everyone who has bought the album, Yusenia, <laughs> and supported that dream. You know, our fans are put are the ones that are putting us on the streaming flat platforms. So uh, you can find the Fabrics album at fabrics.bandcamp.com. That's F-A-B-R-I-K-S.bandcamp.com. And uh, Fabrics Music is on Instagram at Fabrics Music. Myself, I'm mostly active on uh, Instagram. I'm not really on the book or Twitter, but you can find me, uh, Eleanor Lucille, and uh, email me if you want to collab, DJ, booking, (laughs) even creative production product, uh, production events, eleanorlucille at gmail.com. Yeah, so hit Eleanor up for your next event. (laughs) Or just listen to some new Fabrics music. I was jamming to it, girl. Thank you, Eleanor, again for being here and telling your story and sharing some really personal things that, you know, I think a lot of people are going to take a lot from because it's kind of like a reality check of like a lot of people have a lot and a lot of people were born into a lot and we become a little selfish or we become, you know, entitled and we think like, you know, someone owes us something and no, at the end of the day, this, this world doesn't owe us anything and it's really what we do with it. And, um, you know, it's all about that love we receive and also making decisions, uh, you know, looking around us, what are we, what decision are we going to make? What are we going to do with the hand that was dealt with us, you know, for us? And, um, yeah, I just think that, man, I think your story is going to be so impactful. And I think a lot of people are going to like check themselves, you know? 
and be like, fuck, I need to get my life together. Eleanor's got her shit on lock. Anyway, thank you so much, girl. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Growth Nostalgia is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe, you rate, and leave a review. Link can be found on Instagram and follow us on IG at Growth Period Nostalgia. That's G-R-O-W-T-H period N-O-S-T-A-L-G-I-A. Growth Nostalgia is recorded in Los Angeles, California. Logo created by Adam Gonzalez. Intro and outro music done by Damar Davis. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Hit me on IG. Have a good one. Bye.